Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. Every two weeks, we post podcast versions of one of our free training videos, or you can access our videos now at beyondordinarywomen.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Kay Daigle of Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries. Welcome to this episode on our podcast, as well as a video with Elizabeth Woodson. Welcome, Elizabeth. We're so glad to have you today. It's great to be here with you, Kay. Well, I'm glad it worked out. Elizabeth is a graduate of Dallas Seminary. She has worked at two churches in the Dallas area on staff for a number of years at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and the Village Church. And now she is an author, a speaker, a Bible teacher, and she is going to share with us today as an author because she wrote a book and she's going to share with us about her book. The title is Embrace Your Life and the subtitle is How to Find Joy When the Life You Have is Not the Life You Hope For. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth, I think pretty much everybody out there can understand and identify with that title. Oh, yeah, that's it was fun to choose that because every time I read it to people, they're like, oh, oh, yes, yes, I can relate to that. Right. I mean, we all have ideals of what our lives are going to be like, and they are never exactly like those dreams that we hold so dear, I think. So as you as you began to write this book or you started thinking about it, how did God lead you to this particular topic? Yeah, it is a topic that I had spent a lot of time thinking about, specifically during my time in ministry. And so when I was on staff at Oak Cliff, I led ministry to single adults. And so part of my role was really helping people uh, enjoy and embrace a season that they might not always want. And so talking to them about their longing, but then, you know, ministry provides you the opportunity to talk to lots of different people. And so I would see some of my folks who were really trying to thrive in the season. Um, And so it might not have been their singleness, but it might have been their health or their finances or just a hard job, but they were really trying to push through. And then there was a second group of people who I found were just stuck. Like we would talk about the same thing. And I worked at the church for several years and would have conversations with people about the same thing for several years. And I realized that I wanted to write a resource that would help people, really help myself as well. I think writing is you're sharing your own story with people uh, because it's your own journey of pushing through and overcoming. But how do I help people not get stuck in their pain? Longing is universal. So yes, singles have longing, but everybody does. And I've learned that along the way too. And so how could I help people press through the seasons that are really hard, the ones that might not end quickly or right away and give them substantive truth, not the sugary sweet stuff, not the stuff that's more self-help, but okay, how do we give people some deep roots? And I wrote it during the pandemic. And so I was in my apartment (laughs) and I had plenty of time and in a season where people are like, I don't want this. And so I think the Lord brought together several seasons of just ministering to people and it gave me an opportunity during the pandemic to put that wisdom on paper. That's great. And I I believe this book could be used mildly Mm -hmm. by so many people. I feel like I need to buy a number of these <laughs> in a way because it's such a common malady 
-hmm. for all of us to a certain extent. And some people get more stuck than others. I've realized that and some people have a harder time with this. Tell us a little bit about your own journey through this, because you do mention yourself throughout and the fact that you've learned these things. How did that come about? You know, it really was, uh, you know, my story is one that is lined with seasons. And I was talking to somebody about this other day, seasons of loneliness, seasons of depression. I am a single in my mid to late thirties. And I tell people the book is not about singleness, but I use my own journey as a launching pad to talk about what everybody deals with. And so once you get to your mid mid to late thirties as a single, you really got to think about your season substantively in order to not live in a place of bitterness or cynicism. And to really believe, Lord, you've given me something really beautiful. And so I remember it was, and it's a story I share, that I was in a meeting with some other ministry leaders. And we were just, it was one of those affirmation circles, which I love to hate because it's super awkward. (laughs) But someone was like, Elizabeth, you really have a lot of joy. Like you live just so vibrantly. And I think at that moment, I realized that what I had been really fighting to do, the Lord had allowed me to find a place of contentment and not, again, something that was just static, but really like dynamic and vibrant and life full of joy. And and I was like, okay, how would I put steps to this for somebody else? Uh, How can I guide somebody through the journey I've been on? And again, I think the pandemic just provided an opportunity for me to sit still (laughs) for a long enough time to write it. But it was, I know what it's like to not want to get out of bed. I know it's like to tell the Lord, you know, maybe tomorrow, but for today, it's going to be a no. And that's not the life God's called us to. He's called us to live. And so how do we live well? And how do we live acknowledging the hard things, but also say there is blessing for me. And sometimes you got to fight to be able to do that. And so I wanted to share what God had given me and what I learned from other people. Again, a resource that in any season, because the seasons change that I can pull the book off a shelf and take myself through the spiritual disciplines that I provide in the book and find myself in a place of joy when it seems like joy is nowhere to be found. Right. This isn't like a self-help book. Mm-hmm. How would you describe it? <laughs> I would describe it as a book that leads you, leads people to a place of remembrance. Joy is something we always have because our joy is in Jesus. But life can make that cloudy. Life can make us forget. Life can make us focus more on ourselves and the truth of who our God is. And so the book to me is a process of remembrance, of bringing back to people's minds the truth that is in scripture, that our hope and joy is grounded in the story of redemption that we're all a part of. Uh, And so what I do is, is remind people, this is who God is. This is who you are. This is what he's called you to but this is also what he has provided for us to process our pain. And so the center pin of the book is not us. The center pin is Jesus. And so it's not self-help. It's uh, help through Jesus, <laughs> which yeah. is to me the Christian life. Yeah, that's a, that's a great description of mm-hmm. it. I was interested as a Bible teacher myself that you used yeah. Joshua and his story <laughs> as, as, you know, all the way as a thread all the way through. Mm-hmm. And how did you... How did you come to the idea of using yeah. Joshua? <laughs> you know, Joshua to me, I, I think he just kind of doesn't get enough attention as he ought to uh, from everyone. But you find him in this part of the biblical narrative in a really hard season. That he has walked alongside Moses for 40 years. He was part of the group of Israelites that were delivered out of slavery by God through Moses. And so, you know, you think about the relationship he had with Moses, you think about the memories and the ways in which Moses mentored him and the ways in which Joshua was able to lead under Moses's Moses's, uh, guidance. 
And then right at this moment where Israel is about to take hold of a promise that they have waited generations on, Moses dies. And so as this epic moment of moving forward in life, moving forward in divine destiny, but also a moment of deep sadness and grief. And so seeing them together and seeing what God tells Moses, tells Joshua, I'm sorry, because really it's, it's, a, it's not necessarily a conversation back and forth with God and Joshua that I focus on, but the words that God says to Joshua. And to me, there was just a lot of just deep rooted wisdom in what God does in just nine verses to help Joshua move forward at a moment that probably was full of so much pain, but so much responsibility to move forward. Because at this point in history, when we get to Joshua chapter one, the scholars believe there's like, there's millions of Israelites that are crossing over the Jordan River. And so Joshua, him not showing up for life would have been a big deal. And so, you know, to me, it was this mixture of he's got stuff he's carrying, but he still moves forward. How does he do that? And, and walking through that in the book. Well, speaking of him moving forward, you, early in the book, you talk about the fact that a lot of times we don't move forward. We just mm -hmm. want to avoid yeah. uh, the pain that we encounter. And, and so we just don't move forward. Yeah. And you talk about, you, you label that as emotional avoidance. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, longing in our lives, uh, the gap between the life we want and what we have. Right? I think, ever, again, everyone can relate to, I don't want this, God. I'll take anything else but what I have right now. Um, and that can be a real pain. Like, like, you physically feel it. Like, it is just emotional sadness. And what we want to do is we want to get rid of it really quickly. We want to run from it. Sometimes we don't even, we're not aware of it because we're so good at numbing it. And we live in a culture that encourages us to run from our pain um, and encourages us through a whole slew of different options, whether it is just binging on Netflix or Hulu. And none of these things are bad things within themselves. But when we use them to replace what God has given us, uh, we see ourselves running to them instead of running to God. That's kind of a little signal that something's wrong. I always talk about my love for Blue Bell ice cream and my love for just Rocky Road, but Rocky Road, Blue Bell ice cream is not gonna fix my problems, okay? It's not. <laughs> and so the moments in which maybe I'm using food to comfort me in ways that are outside the boundaries for what God has designed food to be used. And those are some of the light things. We pick up habits. Some of them, you know, alcohol, sex, um, drugs, like there are a whole bunch of different things in our culture that people will run to, to escape from their emotions. And they just don't want to feel it. And we have to be cognizant of ourselves and what we're doing to deal with the pain. And again, sometimes it's light, sometimes it's heavy, uh, but we will run to comfort. We will run to control. Uh, we like to control our lives. We like to control other people because that makes us feel safe, but really our safety is in the Lord. Sometimes we run to power. And so people don't like vulnerability. Pain makes us vulnerable. And so we will... I use a phrase like power up on someone else. Uh, I think sometimes women can be familiar with being the recipient of this type of experience from someone else, or we just do approval. So if I can get this person to love me, if I can get this person to be in relationship with me, then my life will be okay. But usually that person is having us do things that are not healthy or good for us. And so none of those things work. And they always leave us wanting more. And the only person that will not do that for us is God. And so while 
there are beautiful gifts that God has given to us in created things to find soothing for our soul. We need to go to the creator. Absolutely. I understand the rocky road. Only mine's mm -hmm. better pecan. <laughs> <laughs> we all have something. Yeah. 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 Well, you talk about God, obviously, a lot since, mm -hmm. since he's really the center of our lives. What characteristics of God? I know you mentioned a number in the book, but what, mm -hmm. what characteristics are really, would you say, are the most important for us to believe and trust in him instead of dealing with our pain in unhealthy ways, as you were just discussing? Yeah. What are, what are some I mean, of the main ones? Yeah. Main ones. The, the two that come to mind for me, that God is sovereign and God is faithful. And I go to those because I think they combat the lies we tell ourselves. Uh, one, that God can't fix my problems. Like he can't do anything that he's not in control. In God's sovereignty, we see it right at creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That all of what we see around us in a broken creation was breathed into being by God himself. And if God can handle the universe with all the stars in the sky and all the galaxies and all the things that are still being discovered by scientists, then we must believe that he can handle the things in our lives. And sometimes there's a disconnect because we don't see it on our timetable. We don't see it the way we want it to. But God's sovereignty reminds us that he is all powerful. So he, nothing is too hard for him and always that his ways are best. And that's a hard one because sometimes the things that happen in our lives, we're like, this is not... This is not your goodness for me, Lord. God can use things for our good, but that doesn't mean thing, all the things we experience are good. And needing to make that distinction because we don't need to sugarcoat things. If something's bad, something's hard, something's sad, let's call it what it is. But God is not limited by those things to do something in our life for our good. Um, and the other one is that God's faithful. God keeps his promises. And there are lots of promises that God has made to his people that he promised one, probably most of all, that he will be with us through the journey. So God did not promise us that we wouldn't suffer. Uh, suffering is a part of the Christian life, but he promised us that he would be with us. That is one of the promises that he gives to Joshua. And we see that same promise come to us through Jesus in Matthew 28, um, that he will be with us always to the end of the age. And so to know that if God promised that he promised to give you comfort and peace and wisdom and strength, he's going to provide those things. And over the years, I've learned that we have to have eyes to see because a lot of times God's provision in our life, the, the fulfillment of his promises doesn't always come maybe in the package we want it to. You know, I'm just currently in a season of watching a loved one, you know, spend their final moments here on earth. And I have seen the Lord bring me people to comfort me as a single person. And so it's like, Lord, you are providing me comfort. It might not come in the package that I want it to, but it comes in the package I need it to. And so it is that I would have eyes to see God be who he is, but his sovereignty, the fact that he is all powerful, that he can do it, the fact that his ways are best, so I need to obey him, even when I don't understand, and that he's faithful, he's going to keep his promises, he's going to provide, or to that ground me daily. In the book, I give people things I go back to myself. <laughs> like I go back to the things I've given in through those pages because I myself am needing them as well. And so those are two that I use frequently in my own journey. Yeah, I think those are really important. And I think all too often when we think about, you know, the fact that God is doing something even in the midst of hard things. Yeah. The problem is we want him to tell us what it is and we yeah. don't always get that. 
And that makes it particularly hard, I think, when people are experiencing these seasons that they don't understand and their yeah. life is not what they expected it to be. Yeah. And they want God to give them a reason. And right. he just doesn't always do that. And, mm -hmm. and that's what makes it so hard, I think, to believe that he's really doing something yeah. when we can't see what it is and he yeah. doesn't tell us or explain to us. Exactly. Exactly. You, know? you also, I mean, through the whole book is, is full of some spiritual practices that you've mm -hmm. found to be helpful. Finding joy in these seasons mm -hmm. are overall in the way that your life has gone and are are there some of those that you feel would be most helpful to our audience obviously they need to read the book yeah. to yeah. read about all of them but yeah. maybe in our short time together you can just share some of the ones that that you feel are are very vital if they yeah. want to begin to move forward um, one that I think is vital that gets doesn't get enough attention is lament. And so when you come to Joshua's story, you know, you read those first few verses in Joshua chapter one, kind of sounds like God is like, Moses died, I'm gonna need you to move on with your life. <laughs> and that's not in fact what's happened. If you just go back a couple of verses, you'll see that Israel mourned the death of Moses. Like they took time to honor his life, to honor their grief. And sometimes I don't think we do that. And I think part of it, we don't know how, it makes us uncomfortable, it makes us us in the feelings, but that we would grieve the things we feel we've lost. For some people it is, and I thought my life would include this kind of marriage and my marriage doesn't look like that. Or I have a special needs child or a foster child and it's just hard. Like you love your child, but it's hard. And so it's these things that, man, that you would honor what you desired and you would honor what you feel you've lost in this process of lament. And lament is just beautiful emotion-filled prayer that we bring before the Lord is not just a one-time thing. I think there are seasons of lament. And we see that with the nation of Israel. We see that in the Psalms. 40% of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And I think that that shows us that the people of God struggle with life and gives us a pathway of what to do with that. One of my favorite ones to point people to is Psalm 13, because it's short and sweet. It's six verses and you have two verses for each kind of movement. But that we have honesty with God, uh, that you, God, you don't have to sugarcoat it for him, that he knows how you feel, he knows what you're thinking, and that you would just be honest. If you're angry with God, tell him you're angry. If you've got doubts, if you're frustrated, if you're like, God, why? Like, you have not answered my prayer, and I have been praying. David starts that song with, how long, O oh Lord? And you just feel the weight of his grief. And so this process of just being honest with God, but also of asking for what you need, and then reaffirming your trust in him, that God is faithful. And I think those things are, are movements over time. I wanna believe that it took David a little bit of time to get to the end of the Psalm before, uh, that he didn't immediately get to this place of resolution, but that he eventually got there because the Holy Spirit and what we would believe is that the Holy Spirit brings us to that place of knowing who God really is and what he's gonna do, but that we would grieve. And you cry out to God because you believe he can do something. Our lament isn't empty. Our lament is actually really powerful. Um, and I believe the Holy Spirit is present with that, in that with us and transforms us through that. But the first thing I would say that's helpful for people is just to give themselves the freedom to grieve. Uh, and that that grief many times can come alongside community, alongside counseling, um, wise counsel at church, uh, a professional counselor, 
to help us journeying down that road. Um, the next one for me is remembrance. And we talked about it. Uh, just remembering God's character. That we need to tell ourselves who God is because it's easy to forget. Life can look like he's not good. Life can look like he's not faithful. Life can tell us he's not coming through for you. And all those things are in fact not true. And so how do we rehearse what's true about God in the places in which our mind is so easy to forget? And then it's a practice of gratitude. And so for me, that is this practice of celebration, finding joy. There is blessing in our lives every day. There's blessing. And so how do we find that blessing and really have the eyes to see it? And so being in the habit of cultivating gratitude does something to us and helps us realize, oh, God is present with me here and he is, he is bringing things my way. He has not forgotten me. And so lament, remembrance, and this cultivation of joy to me through gratitude uh, is our three of, of the six that to me are really powerful for folks to use. And you do a great job in showing people how to do those things. Mm. We've also got a series of short videos from Nika Spalding where she talks okay. about and yeah. so for our audience sake, you know, let me just tell you that those are out there where she can go into a little more detail because that's the whole topic rather than it just being part of what we're talking about now. But I went on a leader retreat a number of years ago, and the leader had us go to our rooms in silence that evening. And mm. one of the questions that she asked us to, con to consider is, what are we grieving? And uh, it was very powerful. I was grieving things that I hadn't really mm. thought is grieving, but God, God can show you what those things uh, are. Absolutely. Uh, you borrow a term in uh, your book, do it afraid. I thought that was great. Tell us about that. Yeah, you know, ministry takes you to new limits, okay? And so ministry has taught me that the fear and anxiety don't always go away. I think sometimes we can believe that, oh, that what God has for me and I need to walk into all these feelings that I have inside are going to disappear and then I'll be able to enter into what I need to do. And frequently that is not the case. <laughs> and so you kind of have to, for me, it's a mantra for me, many seasons of just saying, Elizabeth, what is before you, you need to accomplish. And so I'm going to need you to do it afraid. I'm going to need you to keep moving, keep moving in spite of the fear that you're feeling. Now it might not be an accurate reflection of what life is like. One of my good friends, Mason King, he always talks about how our feelings are real, but they're not always reliable. And so how do I, in spite of the things that would hold me back, move forward? Because what is in front of me needs me to show up. Like God has work for me to do, kingdom work, and I cannot let what's inside of me prevent me from doing that because I'm a, I'm, it's interconnected. And that's what we see with Joshua. Like, He's part of something greater than himself. And so I need to honor the God he's created me by showing up for what he's put before me. And so sometimes that means I need to do it afraid. Right. That's great. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we have a lot of leaders who watch our videos mm -hmm. and listen to our podcasts since our main purpose yeah. is to prepare Christian women for leadership. Yeah. And I think what you're saying there is really, really important because mm -hmm. really as a leader, it 
the fear never really goes away. As you just said, you, you might think that it will, but it won't. And I know one girl told me recently that, that I didn't remember this, but years ago, she said she was in my Bible study. And one day she just decided she wanted to find out. And she came forward after I had taught and she said, how do you get the courage to get up here and do this? Mm. Just, I mean, I don't remember the conversation, but I'm mm. sure I probably told her it's just because God showed me this is what I was supposed to do. Yeah. It, it's not that the fear went away and suddenly I was able to do it. It's that I realized this is what God has called me to do right. and I need to be about it, even if there's fear involved yeah. in it. Yeah. So I loved, I loved that little thing, do it afraid because, and certainly I never wanted to be part of videos either. <laughs> I still don't want to. So here we are. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Let's say that I have a friend who's stuck spiritually and emotionally and because of some disappointment in life. How would I take the wisdom in your book and, and help her? She's unwilling to read it for herself. Mm -hmm. She's unwilling to watch this video. How can I help somebody else? What would be my first step? What would you suggest? I think the first step, one, is before we talk to them that we pray for them and that we pray that the Lord would allow us to, that they would find hope that, because it's, it's a journey for people and people's journey is a different length every time. And so I think that we go forward in prayer, being used how the Lord would have us be used and not necessarily what we think needs to happen. Um, but I think in conversation, giving people a safe space to be honest, uh, we don't need to have the answers. We don't need to fix it. Sometimes we want to, especially as leaders, because that's what people come to us as. They want us to fix all the things. And a lot of times the ministry of presence can go a lot longer than us having a whole list of things and Bible verses to give them. Now the Bible verses are necessary and needed and wonderful, but giving someone a safe space to just say, hey, how are you doing? You know, how are you doing with this? Also sharing your own journey. Sometimes when someone is, it's difficult for them to see the need to move forward in their own journey, seeing us move forward in our journey can be helpful. And so sharing what God has done for us in our own pain can be a launching pad for them to see, oh, maybe I need God to help me in my own space. But agreeing to be present, agreeing to agree with them, pointing them back to truth of the word, bringing them back to scripture, but then also being a friend who won't let them stay in the cynical place and say, you've got good stuff. Point out the good stuff in their life. Don't always let them be in a place of negativity, but bring the gratitude for what you know God has done for them. Um, and again, all of that goes with wisdom, but I think graciously pointing them to the place that their eyes don't necessarily want to see. And sometimes we do that directly. Sometimes you do that indirectly by sharing your own story. But I, I but yeah, it's a the slow go, full of wisdom, but being a safe space for them to share what's going on in their life to me is a great first step. Yeah, that's that's great. That's great advice there. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. I enjoyed this conversation about your book. I enjoyed reading your book. And I would encourage our audience out there to pick up the book and read it. I love the way that at the end of each chapter, she has a section to help you apply the truths in that chapter mm -hmm. so that it's not just you read about it, you also invest then in applying what Elizabeth has given us. So those, I thought those 
those were really, really helpful um, because just reading about it won't necessarily help you. You need to begin to practice the things that Elizabeth brings out in the book. I also think it would be a great group study for friends who are maybe all stuck somewhere who are all disappointed about something and you don't have to be in the throes of terrible disappointment to read it. I think, I think it will benefit anyone. As, as I said at the beginning, we all have disappointments and I think it would, it would be a great read and, and to take those practice sections and do those and then come together and talk about it. And again, the name of the book is Embrace Your Life by Elizabeth Woodson. And thank you for writing the book, Elizabeth. I think it's very needed in our church culture today. We have such high expectations of, of ourselves and of our lives, I think. And we need to handle it God's way. So thank you so much. Yeah, it was a joy, Kay. Uh, as far as our audience, we do have many more videos and podcast episodes on our website, beyondordinarywomen.org. We invite you to just browse around and see the things that would be helpful for you in your ministry, in your personal life. We have a topic for godly living, which, which is for anyone. But we also believe that each and every one of you is called by God to lead someone. You're, you're influencing someone somewhere. And so many of the things that we have for leaders would would be true of any anyone in any kind of leadership position. So I'm, I really hope that you'll browse some of our other resources and contact us if you need us. We hope to see you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcast episodes and resources for women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast is produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministry. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Deborah Herring, and Sharifa Stevens. Theme music, Back in Stride by Don Miller, used courtesy of Christine Miller.